0: or torment me no weapon no worry will prosper against me no darkness no evil will tease or torment me Well, I was a slave to sin. Jesus died for me. Oh he died. Free
1: I'm a child of
2: God Yes I am. Just let those promises wash over you. He's for you. He is not against you. he loves you. He's your protector. he's walking beside of you. He wants to lead you. so just let the truth of who you are in him let that resonate in you as you declare this.
0: That's our truth this morning. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am
1: who you say
0: I am. Oh, thank you, Lord. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. Because of you, you Jesus. Are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. So the voices are equal. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am.
1: Your faithfulness walked beside me The winter storms made way for spring and every season from where I'm standing I see the evidence of your goodness all over my
2: So I just want us to begin to reflect on our lives. I want us to just begin to to look at the evidence of God moving, of God drawing you close to Him. Begin to think of all that He has done, all that He has brought you through, all that He has led you through. And just begin to thank Him. Just begin to praise Him. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. And here's what I love. It follows up with that. In other words and i'm paraphrasing here but that that will never change that means that his goodness is a promise that means that his goodness is not something that will end one day that will come to a culmination or an ending it means that it is constant that we can always trust in that that we can always trust that he wants good things for us does that mean that we are going to be void of obstacles that we are going to be void of of hard things no Because it also says that in this life there will be trouble, but what? Take heart, for I have overcome the world. That means that when we put our faith and we put our hope in Jesus, that means that no matter what we face in life, we can know he's in control. We can know that, that nothing passes through him without him being in control. So that means, you know what, I might not understand something, but I can know that God is good and that God is faithful. It might not work out how I think, but again, because of his goodness, because good things come from him, I can know that even in the gravest of circumstances, in the hardest of trials, even when I do not understand it, I know that he's good. I know that he is faithful. And I know that he is walking right beside me. He reigns above it all. Can we continue to worship together? Can we continue to focus on his faithfulness? And can we just lavish him with the praise that he deserves? Can we do that together?
0: The reign of darkness now is end in the kingdom of light. In the kingdom of light, and forever under your dominion you're the king of my life you're the king of my life come on you reign you reign above it all you reign above it all over the universe and over every heart there is no higher name jesus you reign above it all Cross, the work was finished. God, you poured out your life just to give us new life from the lips, the forgiven human anthem arise. Jesus, your. Darkness running out of an empty grave, now seated alone in glory, and thrown on the highest praise. You sent the darkness running out of an empty grave. Now seated alone in glory, and thrown on the highest praise, and you sent the darkness running. Out of an empty grave Seated alone in glory Enthroned on the highest praise And you sent the darkness running Out of an empty grave Seated alone in glory Enthroned on the highest praise You sent And you sent the darkness running Out of an empty grave now seated alone in glory enthroned on the highest face you sent the darkness running out of an empty grave now seated alone in glory enthroned on the Sing hallelujah to the everlasting one. There is no higher name. Jesus, you reign. Jesus, you reign above it all. Let all of heaven and the earth erupt in song. Sing hallelujah to the everlasting one. There is no higher name. Jesus, you reign above it all.
2: Hey, Father, you, we lavish you with the praise that you deserve, God, we just rest in your presence. God, we humble ourselves before you in all of your wonder and your glory and your goodness. Father, let us never lose that that zeal, that humility of just being in your presence and knowing that you are near. That you love us. God, you care about every single detail. God, we're in all of you. Pray that you just be with Pastor Tim as he delivers the message. Father, let us just be open to what you wanna speak to us, what you wanna do, what you want to accomplish you this morning and God let us just respond in obedience let us be open to your voice and God we give you all honor all glory and all praise in Jesus name amen you can be seated well good morning everyone it is great to have you in church this morning Uh, pastor James is on a much needed break But uh, it is my pleasure to have our interim executive pastor, Pastor Tim Kirkpatrick, in the building this morning to bring the word. So let's make him feel welcome, Pastor Tim.
3: Am I on? Am I on? I think I'm good. Last service, give it up for the sound guys back there, sound team. Because uh, we, we, only, we only acknowledge them when something's wrong, right? Like when Rich messes up, actually, people look back at the sound. Rich is doing a great job. His team's awesome. Um, but last service, I muted myself, and I was talking, and I just blamed it on them. But the truth of it is I, I can mute myself on this little fancy battery pack back here. And, um, and I promised them that I would not do that. Uh, so um, that is a lie because I have trust issues. Right. And so, like, I am concerned that although this has never happened to me, I've heard it happen to other people that they've had their packs on, their mics on while they're having conversations with people or while they're coughing or while they're in the bathroom or while they're uh, maybe worse in the bathroom is when they're singing and they should not be singing projected out uh, amongst the entire congregation and online streaming and all that stuff. And so, I have like just a fear, phobia. Of that thing, so I I muted myself and I promised them I wouldn't. And then I got up here and I was still muted. And they're like, "Just trust us." This sound team, y'all, they just they want us to trust them, and we don't because we've just been in those situations. And so uh, thank you for your your long suffering. Uh, I'm a little self-conscious this morning. That's probably part of that that reason as well. This is my first time uh, really speaking to Salem Fields, and uh, so I have a little bit of like what territory am i walking in here like uh I've, I've spoken internationally i've spoken a lot of other cultures and like i've made some faux pas right and so i was like listen i uh like am among friends and pastor james was like yes you're among friends stop worrying about it grow up be a man and i'm like but uh it's just still like i still got that like awkward 10th grade speech class thing going on and so am i among friends uh, here yes all right uh Taylor, Rebecca, I met you all outside. They're like, you're among friends. Just stop sweating. It's okay. And so at home, thank you. I, I hope you gave me a standing ovation as well. Uh, halfway kidding. I'm also self-conscious a little bit because um, uh, I got cut on my forehead yesterday. It was a, a gruesome, gruesome injury. Uh, it's uh, You can't see it, um, even though... Uh, it felt like it was a lot bigger than what it was. But I've been gone for for several weeks. And how many of you have been gone and then you come back and you've like, your gardens, if you have gardens, have just kind of exploded or your lawns have exploded. How many gardeners do we have in here? Do we have any gardeners? Okay, a few. Um, I am not much of a gardener. I'm more of a planter. Uh, so the difference there is like the tending and keeping and the weeding. Like I just plant and I'm like, hey, if something happens, something happens. Life is great. And so, like, we left, and the zucchinis, zucchinis are notorious, little tiny zucchinis, and then we come back a week later, and it's the size of my leg. And I'm like, how, and so I got 10 zucchinis the size of my leg, I don't know what to do with them. Um, but this other thing is, we have this, like, little butterfly garden that was cute and pretty, and we got back, and apparently it rained and was hot, and so, like, everything is six foot tall, um, And like falling over and like their weeds are out of control. And I am not much of somebody that's into weeding. All right. Does anybody actually enjoy weeding? If you do, there's something mentally maybe a little like it's tedious hard work. That's why like people plant and they don't garden uh, because they, they don't like the weeding and the tending part of it. I do something that's better than weeding. It's a little secret. It's called weed eating okay and and it's not eating the weeds it's just taking a big powerful gas machine and just cutting everything down because they get so intertwined in a mesh that you you don't know the difference and so uh i didn't do that to the zucchini plants because you can tell the difference between a zucchini and a weed i just let it run because i'm like the zucchini is just gonna do what it does uh, but the butterfly garden like the flowers are all done, and I can't tell which is the weed, and which, I mean, like everything's six foot tall, and I'm not six foot tall, Uh, so like I'm just walking through this, and I'm like, it's just going to be easier if I just cut everything down. Uh, I did not tell my wife, um, which was a mistake. I heard one. That's a mistake, right? And so sometimes you just roll with it, and you hope that you get forgiveness, most of Life is like that, and so I'm in there just, you know, cutting this thing down, and then all of a sudden, what felt like a five-pound rock shot up and hit me on the forehead. Okay, now it was probably a pebble. It was just <laughs> truth of the matter is probably a piece of mulch, but it hit me in a, in a middle-aged male's most sensitive part—not what you think—in the receding hairline. That's the—that's our most that 's our most sensitive part to our ego, all right, and it hit me We're like right in the corner, right in the crack, and I immediately you know and there 's the blood everywhere on my hand i 'm like, oh my gosh i 'm going to need stitches i 'm speaking tomorrow and and I go up to to the house and i 'm like katie katie like i 've been hit um, like like this, like wounded in battle or or in a baseball game, or something just very non-combative, but I felt I felt the pain of it, and uh, so I'm in there looking for my purple heart, and she's like, I can't see it, and I'm like, it was just there, and it feel it hurts, it like it hurts, and uh, and so like I'm all self-conscious that I'm gonna like have this big like knot on my forehead, like I was in UFC or something like that. She's like, I think you're gonna be fine, um, just. And she's like, "How'd that happen?" I was like, "Don't worry about it. Just don't go out to the, <laughs> don't go out to the garden." Um, but I, I don't know if anybody else is like that. But I am like that. Where I get like I like things compartmentalized. I like uh, I like little perfect edging around my uh, my my beds, like my garden beds and my lawn. And I like that in my life. I like to have my work life, and I like to have my personal life, and then I like to have my relationships, and God help me, if any of those worlds start to to come together. And I just like everything very much compartmentalized. And when things start to overgrow themselves and get enmeshed, I have a tendency to like, just kinda cut it all down and and walk away and then start over with something new. And interestingly enough, I know that's a hard segue, but interestingly enough, that's what's going on in this church that we're gonna study today. so the other self-conscious thing is Pastor James is like, hey, we're in a Revelation series. I'm like, ah, that's not really my cup of tea on um, on, on speaking to a group for the first time. Uh, but we'll give it a go. And he's like, ah, it's just the seven churches, you know, going through that. And it's actually pretty... Interesting, once you get into all this stuff, the, the issue with Revelation is, uh, especially these churches, is it's wrapped in meaning upon meaning and upon meaning. So we're going to start to go through that and, and unwrap that here. Um, but this church in particular that, that Christ is speaking to, there's about seven churches, this church in particular is one that's so enmeshed in some really good things that are happening, but also some really bad things that are happening. And it, it's so intertwined, so enmeshed, that it's really tough to tell the difference. And so, um, so we're gonna get right into that. I believe we have uh, the words on the screen. This is Revelation chapter 2, verse 12. I'll be speaking out of the message translation this morning. There's a lot of beautiful translations out there. Uh, same, same original words, uh, usually in, in Greek, if you're in the New Testament. And then those get translated and then contextualized throughout the years. Uh, This translation is is a very poetic one, um, also very beautiful, but we'll get into this. Write this to Pergamum, to the angel of the church, the one with a sharp biting sword draws from the sheath of his mouth. Out come the words, I see where you live, right under the shadow of Satan's throne. But you continue boldly in my name. You never once denied my name, even when the pressure was worse. When they martyred Antipas, my witness, who stayed faithful to me on Satan's turf. But why do you indulge that Balaam crowd? Don't you remember that Balaam was my enemy agent, seducing Balak and sabotaging Israel's holy pilgrimage? by throwing unholy parties? And why do you put up with the Nicolaitans who do the same thing? Enough, don't give in to them. I'll be with you soon. I'm fed up and about to cut them to pieces with my sword sharp words. Are your ears awake? Listen, listen to the wind words, the spirit blowing through the churches I'll give the sacred manna to every conqueror. I'll also give a clear, smooth stone inscribed with your new name, your secret new name. So let's give some context to that, because when you first read, or at least when I first read it, I'm like, okay, this is kind of trippy. This is a little bit out there, and I don't know if I understand what all those uh, words mean, in relation to what's going on here. And I definitely don't know how that relates to me today in 2021. And so just speaking to that, and one really interesting thing is, is the Word is living, alive, active today. It may not have been written to us, but it is written for us. The old rabbis used to say that it's like a gemstone, that every time you picked it up and you turned it in the light, it got new meaning. You got new revelations, new depth. So what I'd like to do is add some of that depth and some of that context today. So we're just going to, almost like VH1 storytellers walking through a song, we're just going to, verse by verse, walk through some of these things and... um, and add some of that death to it. So first of all, I see where you live, right under the shadow of Satan's throne. Holy smokes. Like, who wants to live there? Like, you don't want to talk about hot. Like, right under the shadow of Satan's throne. And here's the thing. When, when Satan was kind of banished to the earth, God said, you are going to be the ruler of the earth. You're going to run all over it. I own it. You are going to be the ruler over it. And so his throne, his, his seat is in this city. You want to talk about a bad place to live, right? Right there in this city. And why is that? Why is that? It's tough to say unless you go back and, and look at some of the things that, that again are contextually going on here. I think last week, Pastor James talked about Smyrna. The week before it should have been Ephesus if, if he was going in order there. Um, those two cities, the big thing about them is they were trade cities. Ephesus has some some really cool and interesting things going on there as well, especially if you go back to Ephesians in, in the book there. But Pergamum was not a trade city. Its name actually meant parchment. If you look at at Pergamum, it was known for education, libraries, universities, royal palaces. The god Jupiter was allegedly born there. Homer, who wrote the Odyssey, was apparently from that region. That's what this place was known for. And it was very much anti-Christ, anti-faith, definitely anti-holiness. I am not saying education is anti-Christ. I'm not saying libraries are, are anti-Christ. Univers- Some of you may feel like that, but that's not, that's not what it was. We have to remember this region and, and that education, those libraries, all those things was very much a Greek thing, a Greco thing. And that happened before Judeo-Christianity got involved in it. And there was, you know, homeschool groups and and all these things, Christian universities. So we have to like detach our 2021 mind from what we think a university and a library and and this culture is and travel back to what that actual culture was. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more here, but it's very much an anti-Christ, anti-holiness culture. He references the sword again, moving on, this time coming from his Mouth. Uh, some of you might have, have heard an, an older translation or a different translation that talked about when Christ returns, a double edged sword would come from his mouth. Is anybody familiar with that terminology in that language? Yes, yes, yes. So that comes fr- from here. That's come from th- this line. I first heard that in second grade at a kids' camp. Uh, you want to talk about scaring me to the point of wanting to wet myself when I was like, that Jesus. I thought Jesus was the nice guy, and this sword is coming back, and it's coming from his mouth, and is very uh, uh, like. As a child, I was like, "That could you use a different kind of imagery?" And so, growing up in the '80s, in the evangelical church was rough times because they just kind of put it on a felt board and let you have it, and um, and let you kind of come to, to your own conclusions on that, and uh, and that's what's going on here. And so, I I did not truly realize, because again, we have to understand that a lot of this is analogies, a lot of this is metaphor, a lot of this is imagery, is not a literal sword coming from Christ's mouth. It's a double-edged sword, two edges, two sides to it. So kind of if you're thinking Braveheart's sword, it's kind of one of those big old uh, Scottish claymores coming from his mouth. But the two sides, it's a moral, not a material sword, it's a moral sword. One side is the moral authority that Christ has to bring this. The second side is one that cuts and one that, one that separates. So when he talks about a double-edged sword, talking about both the moral authority but also the moral ability to cut and to divide. And he says, you continue boldly in my name even when the pressure was the worst. This seems like a good thing. Like, this seems like a good thing, but then comes the hammer. And if you're not familiar with certain parts of Old Testament literature, you might just run right past this. The hammer comes down and he says, but why do you indulge the Balaam crowd? Like, what's the deal here? And that was a very polite way of saying uh, that crowd is doing some very bad things. So the Balaam crowd is a callback to the Old Testament to take are taking notes, Numbers 22 through 25. If you want to do some light reading this afternoon, it's a great one to jump in and take you about 10, 15 minutes to make it through. But it's going to connect a lot of dots there. But it's a call back to this Old Testament uh, time when Moses was leading the Israelites through the desert and there's 40 uh, years of wandering in the wilderness. And as they're doing this, other surrounding nations and, and kingdoms start to get concerned. If you saw three, four million people wandering through the desert, uh, you might have some concerns, right? If, if you were thinking that you had this nice little territory. And so King Balak hires a, uh, a prophet, a prophet for hire, uh, if you will. and says, hey, I want you to come and curse these people. That would make me feel a whole lot better. I'm going to give you a lot of money. He says, no, that's not how it works. I only say what's put in my mouth by God the Father, and so I can't promise you that I'm going to curse your people. I'm not going. A couple times, this king tries to get Balaam to come. Balaam finally comes, finally decides, okay, how much are you going to pay me? Okay, I'll do it for that. Like, I can't promise you any outcomes, but the money's good, so I feel like I can go do that. So he saddles his donkey and starts going. Um, The donkey... We we'll talk about it. this is going to get interesting for those of you that might not know the story. Uh, the the donkey sees that this is a bad idea, and said, ah, "I'm not going to go that way." And like goes this way, and uh, Balaam doesn't like that, so he kind of like beats the donkey a little bit. The Donkey goes the other way, he kind of beats the donkey. Finally, the donkey trek with me here, if you will. The donkey, and this isn't even revelation. This is Old Testament stuff. The donkey sees an angel of the Lord with a Waving sword this is like, do not pass. How many of you, if you saw that, would just lay down and tap out? Like, uh, I'm good. Like, I'll do what you want. But if the angel of the Lord comes and is, like, waving a sword, I'm going to have to say, you're on your own, pal. Um, and so what I can, Balaam still doesn't see this. The donkey lays down and does not move. What I can only imagine is, uh, is the donkey from Shrek in Eddie Murphy's voice This is in the Bible, not the Eddie Murphy's voice. But this is in the Bible. This is why it's so interesting. Looks up at Balaam and says, "Hey man, my version. Hey man, what are you doing? Why are you beating me? The angel of the Lord doesn't want us to go." Balaam thinks nothing is wrong or out of the ordinary with a donkey talking to him. (laughs) So Balaam says, I want you to get up, and has a conversation with a donkey. Now, I'm sure some of you have had conversations with donkeys in the past. Maybe not literal donkeys, uh, but (laughs) you've had conversations with those people, all right? And that's the old saying, if God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through me. Um, It comes from that story, okay? So connecting all kinds of dots there. Balaam realizes, oh, I'm talking to a donkey, and oh, that's an angel of the Lord. Oh, I better do what God wants me to do and not go. He still goes. He still goes and and does this thing, but he says, I am not going to prophesy against The Israelites, against God's people, I am going to bless them, okay? And so that's Numbers 22 through 24, but wait, there's more. Because in 25, on his way out, after he's collected his check, he says, Balak, I know I didn't do what you wanted me to do, but let me tell you the secret to God's people and how to get them. Because it's not blessing them or cursing them, God does that. God's people are prone to wonder. That old song says, prone to wonder, prone to leave the God I love. That all comes from this story. God's people are prone to wonder. If you can entice them with awesome parties and a promiscuous lifestyle, even if it's just for one night, you're going to hook them. Thanks, leave a good Yelp, Yelp review, and then he's on his way. And so when Christ is speaking to this church and says, you've been led astray by the Balaam parties. He's talking about Christians in a church or at least profess with their mouths that they're followers of Christ. But either on their own, in their personal lives or out in the world, they're so enmeshed in the culture that they have no moral problem with living that lifestyle while also professing Christ. He moves forward and talks about the Nicolaitans Nicolations is a, at that time, present time group, a Gnostic group, if you will, that did the same thing, profess Christianity. And this still happens today, if you, if you can imagine. If you want to look up the details on the Nicolations, I, I want to warn you, but go to the Wikipedia version. Basically, the men in the, in the group, uh, again, Christians, have no problem letting themselves and their wives. Uh, have a promiscuous life, and they feel like there's, there's no um, conflict there. And yet, that was going on in this church. And so Christ speaks to that, and and speaks to that, um, that there's these conflicting groups, all within the church. You have the faithful, but you also have the not faithful. And the problem is they look exactly the same. He says enough are your ears awake I'll be there soon and in the meantime the spirit will be in the church and will, and will give you the sacred or hidden manna. Manna again call back to the Israelites call back to this people that set apart call back to the, to, to the sustenance and the food because they were traveling around they didn't have any food and so God gave them quail and manna every day morning Every morning they would get, the, they would go out and gather the, the manna and the quail and then uh, it would be done for the day. And the next day they'd go out and it's brand new again. And on the seventh day there would be nothing because they'd have enough for them. And so when he's talking about I'm gonna give you the hidden or the sacred manna, it's not just strength, it's not just sustenance. It was good. It was satisfying. And then the hidden part, there's actually some of that manna went into the ark of the covenant and the ark of the covenant is where god rested with the spirit of the lord and so it wasn't just the satisfaction and the sustenance and the strength it was a the spirit there was a nearness to the spirit that he says if you overcome if you just stay with me on this stay faithful not be overcome but you will overcome i will give you this and then lastly he says, I will give you a clear, or other versions say, a white smooth stone with your name or a new name inscribed on it. Again, going back to Pergamum as a city, part of, of the worship of that city, of that culture, was, believe it or not, healthcare. Uh, you might ask, what was healthcare like in uh, about 10 BC or 10 AD? And uh, it wasn't great. Um, but what they did is there is a serpent that they worshiped Um, and uh, that serpent they would feed and all these things um, and and a way of taking the sickness from the community and letting it not come on the people. And another thing that they do is they would wear gemstones all over. And those gemstones were supposed to ward off the sickness from coming on people. And so when he says, I will give you a new stone, there is a a, a, uh, contextual thing there he's saying, Take off the stones that you have on from your culture, and I'm going to give you a new stone. And there's also a high priest, Israelite, uh, Jewish thing here where where we see these stones. The high priest that would go in and have that relationship with Christ or to to God the Father would minister at the Ark of the Covenant that we were not allowed to do until Christ came and, and broke everything open and gave us that relationship. They would wear a few stones on their clothes as well. One on the shoulder over here, would inscribed on it, was the six tribes of Israel. On the other shoulders, the other six tribes of Israel. And on the forehead was a white, smooth stone without imperfection. And inscribed on it was, holy unto the Lord. It means that not only were they physically clean, if you will, but spiritually clean they were clean. Spiritually, they were clean. We get that word holy unto the Lord, set apart, sanctification. There's the salvation moment, and there's also the sanctification moment of uh, being holy. Being holy unto the Lord. So, you might say, thanks, Pastor Tim. I appreciate the history lesson. It was like my dad telling me something at a barbecue about World War II uh, and describing all that stuff, and I feel like, ah, that was good. But truly, like what, like, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for Salem Fields? What does that mean for me personally? What does that mean for my family? What does that mean for me when I go to work or go to school? Like, how is that applicable? And we'll talk about that. So we have here a church which, by all accounts, has people on the inside of the church that are acting, talking, looking like faithful Christians. Yet there's a group of them that are not. There's a group of them that may genuinely desire to be like Christ, but they're prone to wonder. They're prone to leave prone to walk away, and they feel overcome. There is an old theologian pastor, a guy named John Wesley. I've done quite a bit of studying on him from the 1700s. And uh, great upbringing, uh, phenomenal parents, and by all accounts, he was, quote-unquote, saved, if you will. And so much so, he grew up in England, so much so that he felt like he he needed to do something extra super spiritual, which was become, for him, a missionary to America. And that was to, to minister to the Native Americans and to minister to the colonists, uh, specifically in Georgia, Savannah, Georgia, if, if you want to um, really pinpoint it there. And on his way over, he meets, he's in this boat with a with a group of other people who had been praying nonstop for two years. It was a group that did round robin praying and they'd prayed nonstop for two years called Moravians. And he, for the first time in his life, encountered what he would say would be people that truly got it. People that truly were faithful to Christ. See, he grew up in it. He was probably talked about uh, the the double-edged sword coming out of Jesus' mouth when he was in second grade at church camp as well. Like, I very much identify with growing up in it. Some of you might identify with growing up in it. And he writes down, I came here to save the Americans, including the Native Americans, but who will save me? He was an ordained preacher. Without getting too much into it, the state of the church in America, especially the evangelical church, is one that is very enmeshed with the faithful, the questioning, and to be quite honest with you, the not faithful to the point where entire groups of people are saying, I'm gonna take a weed whacker to the whole thing and leave it, because what I grew up in, what I see come out of the mouths of some of these people, and what I read in scripture about who Christ is and who Christians are supposed to be do not line up. I'm gonna throw the baby out with the bathwater and be done with the whole thing completely. You want to talk about a great time to do that is when church shuts down for about 18 months. And I, I said this briefly the first time I was here, pastors have realized that we were holding school plays on Sunday mornings instead of truly walking people through what Christianity means, what following Christ means. The cost of it Blessings of it. Instead, at some point, somehow, gotten way away from my notes here, but at some point, somehow, we've bought into some lies about who Christ is and what it means to follow Him. So, what do we do if we're a confused church? What do we do if we're a confused Christian? What if we do? What do we do if we're caught in a culture trap? Number one, if you're taking notes, number one, recognize the power of the truth. Hebrews four says, God means what he says, what he says goes, his powerful word is sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey. Nothing and no one is impervious to God's word. We can't get away from it no matter what. We live in a day and age just like in Pergamum where truth is questioned. Everybody's got facts. And those facts oftentimes compete with each other. This side... Saying, hey, these facts line up with this over here. These sides saying, well, these facts line up over here. And, you know, the 80% in the middle saying, but yeah, what, like, what, I don't know, what am I supposed to do with that? They, they're competing against each other. What's the truth? I know in the last 18 months, I've asked myself that a lot of times. Like, what's the truth with this whole thing? I'm not necessarily speaking about Christianity. I'm just speaking about, like, what is going on in our country? Like, what's the real deal? And everybody wants to have their opinion. And everybody's got facts to back it up. But the question is, what's the truth? When we come to Scripture, when we come to Christianity, we look at the same thing. A lot of people want to focus on whether or not stories are real or not, instead of what's the truth. I was at a talk with somebody the other day, and they were debating with me on whether or not parables that Jesus said were true. I don't know if I can can buy into the whole Jesus thing because I don't know if, uh, if some of the, the stories that he said were true. Well, most parables, I wouldn't say are made up, but they're there to, you not to say, okay, well, thank you for the facts about the prodigal son and the older brother. Like It's the principle of it. My question is always, what do you do with Jesus? Forget the facts of that. What's the truth and what's the principle there? And that, that prodigal son story, just real quick, because so many people focus on the, son going away and squand- the younger son going away and squandering everything. And the older son, like, when, he, when the younger son comes back, the father wraps his arms around him, loves him, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's God. And the older son's like, uh, but I don't like that, right? And, and won't even go in. And, and it's a beautiful story, uh, not because of any of those things, but because of the part that most people miss, which I feel like is the truth, the principle that Jesus could have given any words. To God the Father, the Father and the prodigal son, he could have given any words to the Father. And yet the words that he puts on his lips are two things. You were dead and now you're alive. To the younger son. And to the older disgruntled son that was in the church the entire time. You are always with me and everything I have is yours. We focus on the prodigal son, we forget about the prodigal father. You were always with me and everything I have is yours. Another principle, another truth that I want you to just rest on, because you might be thinking, man, this is really about the wrath of God. And, And that just confirms everything that I thought, that God was not loving, that this is, Pastor Tim speaking revelation, this is sword coming out of Jesus' mouth. I want you to catch the full picture of who God is. Because in Genesis 16, Hagar, who is banished, ends up having Ishmael, and if some of you wants to go down that line of the blessing and the cursed people and and all that stuff, and whether or not those things are factual or not, you you can run down that path. But the truth is, this woman that was banished from the church, from the blessing, from Abraham and Sarah, was banished and crying out in the wilderness by herself. Who comes strolling up but God? And says, Hagar, I saw your tears. What's going on? Hagar, and this is fact, is the only woman in the Old Testament to give God a name. And says, you are the God who sees me. Whether that entire story is factual or not, I don't know. But the truth is, we serve a God who sees us. We serve a God who sees us. So I want you to, number one, grab a hold of the truth and the power of the truth. Number two, don't buy the lie. Do not buy the lie. It says, but you continue boldly in my name. You never once denied me, even when the pressure was worse, was worse when they martyred Antipas, but my witness who stayed faithful to me on Satan's turf, And then he says, but then why do you buy the lie? And part of the lie of our culture is you deserve happiness. You deserve to be rich and wealthy. If God really loved you, then... And while there may be truth to that, that God does want to bless you. It's not an end, and it's definitely not a means to an end. God is more concerned with your sustained joy than your momentary happiness. God desires obedience over sacrifice. Those are the truths. We may agree with that, but then we go out of these doors and our actions show that we've bought into a lie. And those lies are usually self-centered and self-serving, to be honest with you. And listen, I've been there before. Writing this message this week, I'm like, I gotta speak this to myself. Because there's several lies that I've bought into Even lately So what do we do Number one Recognize the power of the truth Number two Don't buy into the lie Number three Probably most importantly Is to celebrate Your relationship with Christ Celebrate your relationship with Christ What does that look like? It it could look like spending time in the Word. Scripture right there tells us that it is the Spirit of the Word, it's the power of the Word that begins to separate those things in our heart that we can't even figure out how to untangle. Spending time in the Word, spending time in prayer, spending time fasting, those three things right there no Christian can delegate. And yet we look at them like chores We look at the Christian life like, a, like a, a list of things to do And things not to do And we end up trying to do that balancing act I got to do all these things I really don't want to do Like maybe I don't want to read the Bible Maybe it's boring to me, understand I got to not do all these things that I actually really do want to do Like man, I get that as well And when you're focused on those things and toeing that line, you will fall. It will erode your soul and make you miserable and make the people around you realize that you're miserable. I get it. But if you look at it relationally, especially if you're married, do you wake up every morning saying, I better not do things to mess up with my spouse? Well, maybe you do, I don't know. Um, But like, do you wake up and say like, I gotta love my spouse today. I really gotta serve my spouse. I mean, maybe you've had to, maybe you've been in moments and you've had to do that. But if that's your 20 year relationship, it's not a relationship, that's a sentence. It's not difficult when you love the person. It's not difficult when you celebrate that person. It's not difficult when you're thankful for that person. And sometimes that has to become a habit before it becomes a reality. It's the same way with our relationship with Christ. It's the same way with God the Father. Sometimes we need to rediscover the joy of our salvation. Do you remember those moments? You've been saved. Do you remember when you felt God wrap his arms around you like you were that prodigal son? Do you remember the freedom that you felt in those moments? Do you remember the joy you felt in those moments? Reading the word and praying and fasting, those weren't chores. Those were date nights. Those were ways to connect. You didn't have to worry about all the don'ts that you weren't supposed to do. You just didn't do them because you were alive in the spirit. But over time, as we become more comfortable, can I say that? Slash more calloused to the things of God, we can start to wonder and start to walk away. But Christ tells us that we are overcoming. We aren't overcome. We are not overrun. He says if you are in Christ, you are an overcomer. And if you stay faithful, if you remain faithful, the blessings are going to come. So as we close here, there's there's two things that I want to pray about. And we can go ahead and stand as, as we close here. I want to speak, because this was me for so long, I want to speak to those who may need to rediscover the joy of their salvation. It's been a long, hot summer, it's been a long couple of years. Circumstances in life have, can, can beat us down and make us calloused. And to be honest, we're an easy hook. I want us to rediscover the joy of our salvation. So as we as we pray, we're gonna close our heads and we're gonna pray for this group and I'm gonna pray for another group. If that is you, if you if you just want to rediscover the joy of your salvation, I want you to put your hands on your heart. Whether you're here, whether you're in the lobby, whether for you, whether you're at home watching this online, just put your hands on your heart. And I pray that God would reignite the joy of your salvation. Father, we pray that you would remind us of the moments. It may have been a process or maybe in some mountains and valleys, but you would remind us right now as we put our hands on our hearts of the mountaintops, of you wrapping your arms around us where we felt weightless, where we knew we were sinless, where it was just you and us, and maybe we've wondered, maybe we've been a part of churches that have confused us and wrecked us. Maybe society and life has just has, has left us looking at this list of to-dos and to-don'ts. But right now, as we, our hands are on our hearts, I pray that you would let people know and feel your love for them. Gently remind them of the moment. Remind them of the moment in the 60s or in the 80s or in the 90s or in the car or, or at a camp or reading the Bible or with a friend over coffee where you sent your spirit and confirmed your love for them. That you are always with them and everything you have is the Seal that, Lord. And now for, the, for another group, if, if you are far from God, maybe you've never met God, maybe you've never felt that, maybe you've never known the freedom that comes with being in Christ. Maybe you've never known what it's like to overcome temptation and sin and, and live a life not of strength, but of surrender. I pray that we would take that moment. You would also put your hands over your heart and just say, Christ, I surrender. And you can say it in your own words, but you say, Christ, I surrender. I want you to reign in my life. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to be the one that I follow. And Father, we pray that you would take and you would seal those things in our hearts, in our minds. And we pray that true life change will happen, not momentary, but it would be sustained. And we would see lives changed. We would see relationships reconciled and redeemed. We would see communities and cities and states come together proclaiming your truth that we are more than conquerors. In Christ's name we pray. Everybody said amen.
2: Pastor Rich. Thank you, Pastor Tim. Man, what a word. Um, you know, I know there's so many things that God was speaking to me about as Tim was preaching that. And and hopefully he has spoken to you. And, you know, I know a lot of decisions were made just now. And, and we believe that uh, you need to let somebody know about those decisions because we weren't made to do this life alone. We were made to do it within community. And so uh, we've actually made our process really easy. If you just go to salentfields.com slash mydecision, And and just, it literally takes 15 seconds. Let us know what decision you made so that we can come alongside you, that we can walk this out with you, uh, encourage you, pray for you, uh, give you some next steps. Um, So please do that, because I'm telling you, it will be a great step that you take, and we can walk this out together. Hey, if you're a guest with us, thank you so much for just being here. Hopefully you've experienced the community here. Um, You know, we really just believe that uh, God wants uh, all of us to belong because we all belong within the kingdom of God and so uh, we just want to be able to just join you and help you uh, just walk this journey out um, so if you can actually just do us a favor, take out your phone just scan that QR code on the screen or go to sandalfields.com slash guests there's a lot of information that you could possibly um, just want to know about who we are but there's also just a little quick uh, connection card there, just fill that out let us know who you are so that we can reach out to you, get to know you a little bit and answer any questions that you might have um, we just got done with worshiping through song in the Word, and just another way that we worship God here is just through uh, giving. Um, So if you're a guest with us, do not feel obligated to give, but uh, we thank you, all of you that do call yourself belongers, just thank you so much for your generosity. It really helps us carry out the vision and mission of what God is doing here, both in our community and our global community as well. And so uh, a couple of those things that we're doing is uh, students, um, they're doing their Christmas in July. That's coming up, and uh, it's coming up quick. Just email students at SalemFields.com to get them signed up if you have a student or if you know one. Uh, It's coming up quick. The details are on the screen. Uh, Also, we're going to be doing another outdoor movie event for the community as well. Uh, That's going to be coming up on Friday, August 13th. We're going to show Hook, but it's going to be a great time, so please, Uh, definitely spread the word Uh, get those invites out to your uh, family and friends have them be a part of that Uh, another thing that we're doing is we actually one of our local partners is Smith Station Elementary School we love being able just to come alongside of them and serve their community Um, they're gonna be having a end of summer cookout and so uh they need volunteers, um, but if you can't volunteer and you just want to be able to give to the event as well, you can do so um, just by writing on your envelope or online, just uh, giving it to missions or just say Smith Station uh, Elementary School. and then uh, Or if you want to volunteer, just email info at SalemFields.com. And then lastly, uh, we are a church that values prayer. We believe uh, we can do nothing apart from God, and so we just believe in communing with God, seeking his heart, uh, and just uh, really just cultivating that. And so we release a prayer guide every single Thursday. Uh, you can go to sandalfields.com prayer, download that, and just really join us in praying through uh, that guide, uh, and really let's uh, seek God together and just watch him move like never before. We love you guys. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, we'll see you back next weekend.